Before we get into this episode, the 100th episode of Decision Space, just a quick note. I want to give a big thank you to my co-host, Brendan Hansen, who hauled his recording gear all the way across the country so that we could get you this episode on time. Unfortunately, he left his mic stand, so he had to hold his microphone up trying to keep it steady away from his mouth the whole time. For that reason, the audio is not quite as crisp as normal. You'll hear a few pops, especially early in the podcast, but pretty minor stuff. You'll still enjoy the episode. Sounds pretty good overall, but just wanted to let you know what was going on with that. Now, please enjoy. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions and games. And today we are here at episode 100 of Decision Space. Incredible. We did not think that this would happen, but here we are. And in this episode, we are going to think about the next 100 episodes of Decision Space uh, and just some general ideas of things we might want to do more, things we might want to do less, some of the games we might cover. But before any of that, we're going to start off by just doing a little discussion of some of the games that we have been enjoying over our end of year holiday break from the show. And Brendan, how are you doing? I am doing great, Jake. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. And it's always fun, you know, end of the year game playing. I don't know about you, but I typically just get together with groups that I would never get together with throughout the year, which means maybe playing games that I wouldn't get to play or playing games uh, with people who I don't often get to play games with, which can kind of recontextualize them. So I'm really excited to chat about some of the games that I've been playing. And I'm I'm curious to hear about some of yours too. Some of these I didn't even know that you uh, had on like any interest in. So I'm excited. Yeah, like you, I I spent the holidays back home in Kansas. So some of that was playing with my family and, and some of my you know friends from back home there. Uh, but definitely not my normal gaming circle here in St. Louis. That's awesome. So how do you want to do this? Should we Spitfire back and forth, one and one? Do yeah, you want to do a section? Yeah, let's let's do that first. Okay. So the first game that I'm going to talk about, and the game that has been kind of the big hit for me over the holiday break was Blocus or Blockus. And that is the sort of mass market retail game of playing blocks onto a stark white board. So if you're unfamiliar with this game, as I was prior to receiving it as a holiday gift, and, and it was a gift I requested off the recommendation of Jim D in our Discord, also a Patreon supporter, uh, who suggested that I might really like it. And, and he was absolutely right. So this is a great game to teach people because it essentially has one rule. You're just trying to place as many of your blocks on the board as possible. And there's there are these kind of tetromino pieces. Um, Paul Solomon would be happy. I think they got all of the five square shapes in there, I hope. Uh, and... And anyway, all you do is you place them on the board and they have to share a corner at, with at least one of your other pieces on the board and they can't share a side at all. So literally that's the whole game and you're just filling up the grid and, and at the end of the game, you're out when you can't place any more of your tiles because you don't have any space for them. And then the winner is simply the person that has the fewest squares 
on unplaced tiles remaining at the end. So it's just, you can just get started with it right away. It takes 20 minutes to play. And I played it with two different groups. The first time we just, you know, we're going to play really quick, ended up playing three games back to back. And then the second group, uh, I went over to a friend's, a couple of our, Bridget and I's really close friends for dinner. Uh, they wanted to play a different game first and, and I'd brought Blocus. I thought they would like it. And, you know, it was kind of late. I was like, should we go over and play? It's like, oh, we'll try it once. Um, and we played it. And then Jeff's like, can you stay and, and, and let's play one more time? And so, you know, it just made me feel really good um, that he enjoyed it so much. And it's a total blast. Have you played Blocus, Brendan? I haven't. I have not played it. I've seen it before. And I know that there are ardent fans of this game. I think it's I think it's Blockus, isn't it? It's like know. blocks block. Do you well, play, it's B-L-O-K-U-S. So it, Okay, nice. You know, if it was B-L-O-C-K-U-S, then for sure. But I feel like sure. it's ambiguous. It's a game for blokes. Yeah. Yeah. So in this game, Jake, you play a color. Is that the idea? So you're all playing to the same shared yeah, board right. in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So not colorblind friendly because it's like red, yeah. green, <laughs> blue, and yellow. Like pretty specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it seems really interesting, though, that so many of the polyomino games that we've covered on the show are personal play space games, right? Where I'm working on my own polyomino puzzle. So it's so cool that this game is sort of like almost a area conflict game, yeah. but played with polyominoes and you said all five so are they they're the tetris pieces specifically right the tetronomos so it's yeah. like the, the little so it has z all and the l. fives so you get like you know like all the fours 12 five pieces all the four oh okay then you've got gotcha. just the two threes the one two and then a single one piece and it's nice. really fun because like the way it works where you can place like corner to corner it's like there's yeah. just like sometimes there's like a very small opening, but if you can fit one of your pieces into, then perhaps that will like present a corner into like this unclaimed territory part of the board. So it has this sort of way of feeling like, oh, I'm out of this and doing really bad. And it's like, wait, I can like fit this piece here and that can like open up these other possibilities for me. And so much of the game sort of re- revolves around creating the opportunity for you to do that in the late game. And then of course, like seeing what, opportunities your opponent might have and and positioning your pieces in a way to you know block them off uh so yeah very much a game where it feels like the first time you're just kind of playing chaotically but has that like really nice emergent strategy where you're like oh i think you know i see my mistake i'm gonna try things a little differently nice block it sounds really cool this is definitely one that i'd like to give a try i think you'd really uh, dig it yeah okay the fact that it plays in 20 minutes that's enticing yeah it's a quick yeah. a quick little experience that's cool totally okay so my next game was one that i was very excited about i was also traveling for the holidays so i flew all the way across the country i live in the east coast of the united states to the west coast uh, in portland oregon where i grew up and i wanted a game that i could play with family and with friends so i had a game shipped here and i learned about this game it's a 2021 game but it's called quest and it's a don eskridge game who you probably know for games like The Resistance and The Resistance Avalon. So Quest started off as an expansion, excuse me, expansion for Resistance Avalon, but then eventually they sort of realized, Dawn did, that it needed to be spun off into its own game. So Quest is the standalone reimagining of the system of the Resistance and Resistance Avalon. So you have a lot more, you have unique roles like that were added in Avalon. There is There are five missions that you go on, 
But that's kind of where things diverge because there's no voting. If you're familiar with the resistance and resistance to Avalon, someone will nominate a team of people who go on the missions. Then everyone will vote on if you want those teams to go or not. Quest says, no, we're getting rid of that. There's no voting. So rather than get into the nitty gritty, I think I'll say how Quest feels different than those games. Um, and one of the major ways, two big ways. One is that it's quicker. It's definitely a streamlined experience. If the resistance could play in 30 minutes at times or 40 minutes even if you have a slow group, uh, Quest is done in 20, almost always, because it strips out that voting. And then the other huge difference is that in those games, historically, the Resistance and Resistance Avalon, uh, the majority of players at this table skew towards being the good team, the good side of things. So there's this defaulted expectation that everyone's good. And when you're lying, you're always taking the position that, oh, I'm good. And that's just sort of assumed. That dynamic's gone in Quest because it's either even at the table or skewed towards the evil side. And there's some other mechanics that make it such that both sides sort of want to subvert their identity. It's not that just players are assumed to be good because there's an opportunity for both sides to win in the end, no matter how the missions go, if certain uh, players or the whole group of players for the good side can guess who evil players are. So the table ends up being a lot more uh, tense, it's quiet, and that subversion of expectations around just sort of a default position of people at the table really changes the dynamic. I will say I was very excited to play Quest. I don't know that Quest is a game that I would recommend for people who have not played the Resistance or Resistance Avalon. It seems like sort of a a next, not a next step, but sort of a game that people who have experience with those core systems and want something to mix it up will bring. We had a lot of fun with this game on our third and fourth play. Our first and second plays were really trying to figure out what what ways we could push in this system and, and where the game kind of lived and how their relationships socially existed. I think Quest is more interesting than it is fun. Perhaps. I think you sort of answer what my question was going to be, because I think one of the great things about traditional resistance is it's really easy to onboard people because you can literally say in the teach, like you want people that you're good. And it's yep. so easy to just like cling on to that. And literally everyone in the game should be trying to do that which perhaps create something that could feel like a stale meta after like countless games of it. But I think that's also what makes that game so fun, intuitive and feel so authentic to like the human experience where you generally want to be seen as the good guy in life. And, you know, when people are accusing you of being bad, that feels really awful. And I think you know, that's something that I think makes that such an important game that I always recommend everyone should try at least once. And so for the potential that that is lessened in Quest makes me less excited about it. Totally. I think the Resistance and Resistance Avalon are the the popular mainstream movie versions of this system. And Quest is like the art house film version where it, it's doing interesting things. But I will say you, you kind of nailed it, Jake. The teach was pretty rough. Uh, Maya and I played, so my wife, who has tons of resistance experience, so we we picked it up fairly quickly. We were playing with a cousin of mine who played a ton of Avalon and the two of my aunts who had no social deduction experience. And that was really tough because there's this system where instead of voting, the core mechanism of, of extracting information is this magic spell that the person who creates the mission casts that forces players to succeed the mission. But if they're Morgan Le Fay, they can ignore it. Or if they're this other role called the youth, then they have to fail automatically. So that becomes a really 
potent tool once you kind of wrap your head around the all the roles that exist in the ecosystem. So it has that problem of this is a hidden information game, so you can't reveal what your role is. So if you have a question, you're going to have to look it up in the rule book on your own. It was just a little fiddly until we picked it up. It was cool. I'm really glad I experienced it. I'd want to play it again, but with a group of people who've played the resistance 30 times or something. Yeah. Like that's that's where the sweet spot would be. So that's Quest by Don Eskridge. My next game that I played was Long Shot the Dice Game. This will be much quicker. Um, if you're not familiar, Long Shot the Dice Game is a roll and write game about betting on horses at a horse race. And I picked this one up because I was gifted a gift certificate to a game shop in Lawrence. And I had the opportunity to, to host a little game night at my parents' house with where we had six people attending. Um, nice. so I need, you know, that six is such a tricky player count because I, I didn't want to do just only party games, right? Uh, people are coming over to play a board game. And at the same time, this is like all old friends, people I want to spend time with. So I don't want to do that. Just like, okay, we're going to do us three and I'm only going to interact with like two of the people I invite over. So yeah. I was looking around at the game shop for something and I found long shot, the dice game, I've heard great things about it, so I was excited to pick it up, and it felt like the perfect game to fill that uh, niche, and it was pretty fun. I don't think I was like, I'm not nearly as enthusiastic about this game after one play as I've heard a lot of other people be. I felt like it was a little bit less chaotic and exciting Mm. as I wanted it to be, Um the way the game works is you do one roll and then everybody around the table takes an action. And that's how a lot of these roll and write games work. But unlike a game like Quicks, where everybody just like does it on their sheet, here player order really matters because you can mm. do things like buy the horse. And if you do that, then nobody else can do it. And, and so you really have to go around the circle each time, which doesn't take a tremendous amount of time, but it did like, feel halting enough that it didn't feel like we were just like it felt like more of a game about like sort of the analysis of checking off your sheets than a game of like rolling dice and Mm. and seeing like which horse is going to win and betting on them so that was sort of the uh the vibe of the game And, and my other potential issue and i only played it once so i think this is something that could not happen every time one of the things on your sheet is concession stands and you like can fill up this grid of four by four. And whenever you complete a row or column, you get a special action. And it felt like everybody in our game had either completely filled up their concessions or like had very nearly filled it up. And when you do that, you get a lot of different special actions, some of which are like moving back horses. Mm. So I think everybody used up like all their moving back horses (laughs) actions in the whole game, which made it so that the game just really kind of dragged a lot at Mm. the end so basically at the end the game ends when three horses cross the finish line and the first two happen like really quickly and i'm like this is great this is like exactly what i wanted and then it was like a full i don't know 30 more minutes or something before the third horse went across or maybe longer It, it took a it took a while and so just like that halting at the end uh made the tempo feel off but I've talked to some people about that experience who said like they've never seen that or like that's mm. exceedingly rare that you would have a game state. Maybe it came down to the the way the dice were rolled for us or just like an oddly even distribution of horses getting rolled. Um, but either way, sort of, you know, sort everyone had a fun time. It was it was good. 
but it wasn't great. And I think so I was a little disappointed for that. Yeah, that that's totally fair. I think I expected it to be more boisterous than it sounds like it was, which it was sort of what you were going for. So a bummer yeah. to kind of have a mismatch yeah, like, of expectations. You know, I thought it'd be like, let's go, let's, you know, go blue horse, go orange horse. But like there was so much time between each role that it felt like difficult to get like mm. super amped up for the roles. Maybe fewer sense. players would be better. Would you are you excited to try it again? Or are you sort of like, hmm, we'll see? That's a good question. I feel like I'll probably want to try it at least one more time. Yeah. But I feel like if if it's similar, the next time I might be out on it. Probably not headed to the winner's circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting. I'm glad to to sort of hear about Longshot from you because I feel like our tastes in rolling rights tend to align. So maybe I'll pass on that one until you play it again. Yeah. I'll let you okay. know if if I do give it another shot and what I think. Nice. So from Jake, that was long shot the dice game. My I'm going to group together some other games because some of them I've talked about on the show a little bit already, and I don't know that I need to drag. So we'll do kind of like quick reports with those. But one game that I ended up going to a ton because I found myself in lots of large groups was not a board game, but a party game, and it is Celebrity. This game has a lot of names. People know it as Celebrity or Salad Bowl or Monikers, the sort of published version. I think Time's Up is another app-based version that people have. So we call it Celebrity. Uh, or you keep, I keep going. Mythgal, Botticelli. There's lots of names for this game. This is a game where everyone writes names onto pieces of paper and you put them in a bowl. You split up into two teams and you play it over three rounds. We're in the first round. You can do anything, you can say anything except for the words that are written on the cards, and you can act things out, trying to get your teammates to guess what's written on the cards. The second round, you can say just one word and act it out, and the final round, you can't say any words trying to get them to guess what's on the paper, you can just act them out, but you build up this core of knowledge as you move through the bowl. So I love this game. Having the opportunity to play Celebrity is always an incredible joy. So it was a blast to get to play them. We played it with a few different groups and different sizes, and one of the groups that we were in was sort of game for trying out something that I'd never tried before, uh, which is that we had everyone add one new slip each round to add a little bit of uncertainty. Because when we played with this group, we were getting to a bad habit of just shouting out things we knew were left in the bowl. So I came up with this idea of everyone should just add one new one. uh, And it would increase the challenge level a little bit for us too in the final round to have to be miming out things that we didn't know. And the uncertainty around that was was sort of fun. I don't know if it's how I'd always want to play Celebrity, but it was a, a nice way to mix things up for a group who was, we played it twice and wanted to play a third time uh, and kind of throw a little wrench in the regular pace of the game. Super try hard group there, just like memorizing yeah, exactly. every. I mean, that's what's yeah. <laughs> also like great about the game, right? Is it's like sort of like you create inside jokes with your group of friends within thirty minutes or whatever, um, which is like such a fun shared experience. But yeah, yeah, it definitely doesn't necessarily hold up to memorizing and, and calling out things that you know might still be in there. But I think the better solution to that is just more alcohol. Yeah, which which was effective too. But I will say that mixed with adding new tickets, like watching my friend act out Charizard in the final round without us having any idea that that was what was in there. Pretty great experience. That that went over pretty that well. That fun. Yeah. yeah, awesome game. Yeah. So that was Celebrity. Cool. So the party game that I've been playing over break uh, in, in those situations is Poetry for Neanderthals. Have you heard of this game? Have I told us on the podcast? You mentioned it one time as a game yeah. that I think you bought your mom. 
Exactly. So, oh yes, that was the game I was going to get my mom and I yep. did. So we played it with my family and then I played it with that same group of six people uh, when, and when they came over and it, this game is just like so, so good. I recommend it extremely highly. It's a bit of an odd one in that it's public, you know, it's an, it's another mass market game published by exploding kittens, nice. um, which is a game I probably a lot of people are familiar with. Not my favorite game in the world. But this one sort of fits into that line of games, which I feel like has like a really strong design ethos of just like creating like funny and fun experiences, right? The same company that does throw, throw burrito where you have to like do burrito duels and, you know, you're tossing these burrito plushes at each other, Um, which is like it, it, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different thing than the, you know, the Agricolas of the world, but it's still just like such fun party game experience. So Anyway, the gimmick of poetry for Neanderthals, which is so simple and so pure, is that you're essentially doing a charades or a celebrity style game where you have words on cards that you're trying to get your team to guess. Except for in poetry for Neanderthals, you can only use one syllable words um, to, to get them to guess, right? Wow. So if, if I said, you know, if I want my team to guess moon, I might say like dark sky, small, round. Shine right you know and it's just so funny like how you know explaining these things are so funny right it really makes you sound silly and just gets people laughing right away but if you were to say a two-syllable word on accident like i did when i was trying to get my team to guess moon you know live as a you know small circle and then what happens when you accidentally say a two-syllable word is somebody on the other team standing behind you with an inflatable club bonks you on the head and you, have to, <laughs> and you have to put the card into the negative one point instead of the you know positive one point or if you get the harder version each card has like a simple word and and then like more complex so like maybe it'd be like moon or like full moon so if you get nice. them to guess the full phrase then it's worth three points and that's the whole game you just go around there's a sand timer to so you're seeing how many words you can get in a minute without you know messing up and it's just a total blast. Every time I played it, just like so many laugh out loud moments. The type of game where it's like failing is just hilarious, but also like, you know, succeeding can be really funny too. It, you know, it's such a gimmick, such a simple idea, but it really just works incredibly well. And, you know, it, it hasn't missed yet for me. It's just a really fun party game experience. That sounds hilarious. It also sounds like you could very easily make this at home just by writing your own words and then using a pillow or something. Oh, for sure. To, to be the yeah. club. Yeah. I kind of want to, that sounds like it'd be right up my alley as like a celebrity variant, basically. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And I want to, describing a, like the moon with single, that sounds hilarious. But also if you went into philosophy type stuff where it's like describe communism with single syllable words, oh, that yeah. sounds like it'd be a really funny challenge or that something would like be that, funny. you know? The, yeah. the funny thing too about it that we were finding is like, there's no... You know, in monikers or celebrity, it's really easy to like know what's going to be a very difficult thing to act out. Whereas like in this game, it's there. some words are just incredibly hard to describe using one syllable words where others are not like somebody got, you know, I got like chain or something. And I just like for the life of me could not think of like one syllable words because it's like metal right it's like everything yeah. I to like say about it is like 
you know, it's just hard for some reason where other sometimes like complex phrases are, are quite easy. Um, so I think that also made it like fun because like people get stumped on like what seem like very simple, like easy words, which are in reality aren't. Um, yeah. and, and more difficult complex phrases can just be quite simple because you could just say a full sentence to say what it is. No problem. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. It's fun. Poetry man. for Neanderthals. Should check it out, whether making it yourself or, or, or picking up a copy at whatever your local game store slash retail target retail. <laughs> yeah. Target. Yeah. That's awesome. Super cool. So yeah, I really want to give Poetry for Neanderthals a try. I'm going to group my next three games in the interest of time together, Jake. These are all games I've talked about before. Uh, so it'll just be a quick overview. I also played Blue Lagoon, a tile laying game from Reiner Canizia, where you're played over two rounds, sort of filling up this board, where the first round you have a ton of freedom. And the second round, you're playing from a few special locations that are your little houses you put on the board. Uh, and this game's just delightful. I played it at three. I think it's very strong at three and four a little bit um, loose at two there's not enough conflict in the board and i think for me the sweet spot really is at three where you can creatively path and control space so i, I love that game it was a really good play i also introduced my aunt to azul uh, which Azul uh, perhaps needs little introduction, but it's a, a tile drafting and placing game where you're filling up this grid with five different colors of tiles. And Azul is fun because teaching Azul, you kind of see the the gears click for someone as the rounds go on. It's sort of like, oh, I, I get it, especially by the end of the final game. So that was a blast. And then we also played some Enchanted Plumes my card game that's just you know relaxing for us, sort of a comfort game in the family. Uh, so a couple nights we would just get home kind of late and sort of say let's play one game before bed so that was a lot of fun and i got to typically mine i will play it at two but i got to play it at three players a bunch and that was a, a nice change for me you get to shuffle in sevens and I, I like playing with seven let's see so the last game i was going to talk about is nerds n-e-r-t-z nerds brendan never you, played nerds do you, do, you, do you know what this is Okay, so this is one of those games where I know the I know the name, okay. I know the title, but I don't know anything about Nerds besides that it's just a classic card yeah, game. Yeah, so it's a classic card game. Uh, I don't know if you, how many people you can play it with. We played it with four. I guess you okay. could, presumably you could play it with any number, but everybody needs their own deck of deck? playing cards okay. uh, with their own unique backs. So basically what it is is solitaire, but played competitively. So you have like... You're, you have like a stack of 13 cards and you flip up the top one face up. Then you have four face up cards just like you would have in regular solitaire. Um, and then you have the rest of your deck that is face down and you can flip up just like three and only play the top card from the three into your solitaire stacks. Uh, however, the thing that makes it a competitive game is that whenever somebody gets an ace, they can put it or have to put it into the middle of the table. So, you know, if everybody's playing solitaire on, on their own, like edge of the table, the middle is just like this communal space. So if somebody puts an ace of spades into the, the middle, then if you have the two of spades, you can put yours on top of that. And that's mm. like a race to do it because if somebody else gets there first, then you're stuck out until the next ace of spades comes out. Um, and, Basically, the first person to empty their stack of 13 cards gets to call nerds. And you'd empty it by either playing into your own solitaire stack or playing to the middle. Um, mm. and, and then that triggers the end game or the game just immediately ends. 
and then you score points basically uh one point for each card that you've played into the middle okay. over the course of the game minus one point for all the cards in your like pile original pile of 13 that you that haven't played and you can yeah. Yeah, and if you're the one who called nerds i think you get like a 10 point bonus and you play to 100 so the scores in our games range from like three points to like 36 in a round or something hmm. like that um but it's just like really interesting type of you know i don't it's like i almost like hesitate to call it decision space what it really is is just like this game of multitasking where you're like trying to keep your an eye on the middle while also like playing your own game separately from that um and i found it impossible <laughs> to do well at i was terrible at it uh as was as was my my buddy jeff um he was even worse than me fortunately but you know his wife christina my wife bridget had like a really you know epic battle where christina won with bridget at like 92 while jeff and i were at like 30 and like 24 points respectively at the end of the game um but yeah, I think it's like one. It was fun to to be taught and play like a more traditional old school card game. I think this is one that a, a lot of people just like know of a family game. I think it even like comes on maybe like Windows devices as like something you can just play free. Um, but yeah, so so that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I think I would recommend playing it uh, as as a, as a different kind of more chill out traditional card game experience not chill while you're playing it but it had it has like a good tempo where like you're playing it's like totally head down but then you have to like shuffle up all the cards and and play again you can like sort of like exhale and and laugh about what happened nerd sounds super cool in the level of chaos of with rummy being the least chaotic sort of and egyptian rats crew being the other end of the spectrum where does nerds fall are we like a seven yeah it's like a seven point five eight to, on okay. that scale, on I think, chaos level. They're, yeah. they're, they're like people's hands getting slapped on accident or like, nice. yeah, you know, yeah. like people are like, oh, no, I got mine first. Like, no, no, you know what I mean? Like, that card was there first. Uh, you know, yelling and exasperation. That's definitely going on here. That's super cool. And I also will say, I'm now, I haven't heard of a game where like you each start with your own deck like that. Yeah. Or I haven't played a game like that. And that's a really novel concept where you're playing your own puzzle, but you have something in the middle. Very cool. Yeah, it was like when they were describing it, they're like, oh, it's like solitaire, but it's competitive. So you'll like it. <laughs> that's what that's <laughs> a, I was like, okay. Um, Jake was like, and, I have a podcast about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, but yeah. you know, I was like, that doesn't really make intuitive sense, like sol- competitive solitaire, but that's exactly what it is and really nice. what it feels like to play. That's awesome. Cool. So that's nerds. Yeah, so... Anyway, it was, you know, I didn't do a ton of gaming over the past 10 days, to be honest. That was pretty much the exhaustive list of it, but still had a blast um, playing those games. So thank you for playing with me if you're listening to this podcast now. Yeah. And I, so I think this will be a really natural segue into this sort of next section that we're doing, Jake, because we essentially just did a more sort of personal storytelling, what was our experience with games recently? And I think that what we want to do in this next section of the show is talk about what we want to do in the next hundred episodes and then in the first half and then in the second half of the second half, talk (laughs) about some games that we might cover uh, or that we might be excited to cover in the new year to get you all excited about them. And then maybe you can play along with us as we plan. Um, But so in thinking about games, things that we want to do, I know one thing we want to do a lot more of 
is bring a little bit more of our own personal game playing experiences in. Typically, we just cover games in deep dives or we're talking topically about games. And I think both Jake and I feel that there's an opportunity to a little bit bring in more stories of personal play experiences that offer a slightly different perspective of the games that we cover. Not that we don't love the way that we typically cover games on the show and really enjoy those conversations, but games are big. And I think having more room to discuss games in all their facets seems really exciting to us. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, as I think back over the last 100 episodes of Decision Space, I think we did like a, a really good job. You know, let's pat ourselves on the back about covering all these games um but i think that like sometimes they can feel like a little bit sterile when we're doing like Mm. the game deep dives right we're like okay now we're uh and 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 that's not to say it's bad that we have notes that we like have a format that we stick to but I, i just think like perhaps we can do a better job of like conveying the emotional aspect of game playing by bringing in a little bit more storytelling of like, uh, you know, I had this experience playing the game, you know, uh, and it made me feel like this, which is like the most sterile way possible of putting that. But I think back to the episode where Jake, you talked about Power Grid Mm -hmm. and I talked about a game of Babylonia that we played and the discussion of Power Grid, you know, it wasn't a classic deep dive, but I felt like, having never played that game, that I got a really clear sense for how it would feel to play that game. And I think those are the sort of stories we're trying to bring in. And then that same episode, we talked about Babylonia, and I ended up talking about how we played in teams. And then we got to have that sort of interesting conversation about team play and how we both sort of viewed, you viewed that as an abomination to the table. <laughs> and I thought that it was a really cool way to like have people learn and and, and teach uh-huh. the game, experience the game. So I think that if you're trying to get a sense for what Jake and I are talking about, it's bringing in more stories kind of like those episodes. Ex- yeah, yeah, Jake? Exactly. I think less... This is how my gameplay played out. First, I played this card with my strategy being X, and then my opponent played this card, which meant I had to shift my strategy to this. And at the end, uh, I I got the achievement, which gave me 15 points. I won by one point. You know, I I don't think a lot of times like those stories of our own individual gameplay is like as compelling as we want to be, but more so like, where was I when I was playing this game? Who was I with? Who was I playing against? Um, that type of, of storytelling. Yeah. And what was the emotional experience? You know, and even like, and, and what did I get to eat after? Yeah. You know, like that type of thing, I think actually uh, adds a lot of nuance to the type of conversation that we want to have that really heightens our decision space lens more so than it, than it runs counter to it. Yep. Totally. And I think going right along with that, I want to try and, you know, in addition to telling stories about games, gamers, you know, the people we play with and that, I think like trying to bring ourselves into the show a little bit more as characters is something that could potentially benefit the show and our audience. I, I don't, I think a lot of times we sort of like, People come to this show for our opinions and analysis. And I think that's like fantastic. But I think a lot of times we sort of like have interesting conversations 
prior to and after about, you know, just like what have we been up to? Like how, you know, like Brendan, how was your break? You know, that type of stuff that doesn't always like make the cut for our episode. Um, And I think perhaps like bringing more of that in is a good idea Um, Mm. because I think like for me, that's like one of the most valuable things about doing the show is like spending time chatting with you, you know? And I think if we like to the amount that we feel comfortable bringing in more of our life, you know, both by doing kind of what we just did, like talking about like the games that we actually played outside of, you know, the game we're sort of like had to play for the feature show. So bring in more episodes like that about just like recent plays, like what we're actually up to, but also like, you know, your sort of journey in game design, like what's going on with that? I think I'd love to hear that. You know, if you're working on new games, if I am, I think, you know, more stuff around the ebb and flow challenges with game design, challenges with, playing games in real life with friends and game groups and stuff. I think that's something like we can and should bring more into the show in the next 100 episodes. I think that that's really exciting, Jake. And I'm totally on board with that as well. I will say, I feel like I'm sort of in a unique position right in this moment. That makes me excited for 2023 with the play test, the unofficial, maybe to be renamed game and the empire still like in actual active development there's lots of things that I'm thinking about that I sort of want to share with the audience. And I know if I don't take the chance to talk about them, I'll forget, right? And so it's this sort of like special moment where I'm working really hard on this game and I'm really proud of what's happening. And I want to share that and sort of talk about the problems that I've had and ways that I've approached trying to solve it and the ups and downs of that. I think that might be a candid way to bring a lot of interest and value. And also for me, useful to sort of reflect. And I think the audience would be interested. And I know you'd be interested in hearing more about it. So that's a win. I think the audience will come along. As long as Jake's interested, the audience is interested. Yeah. I, and I think people have really responded well, especially in the Discord, whenever we've done an episode that focuses more on design. Yeah. Um, you know, even though that's not necessarily fitting exactly in with like the lens of the show as we originally thought about it. I think that's okay. You know, it's something that people like. I think it adds value and I think people find it interesting and not least of all, it's something we find interesting. So if we want to do it, I think we should give ourselves the license to have a little bit more leeway and push into that space. Definitely. We can always pull back if people are like, all right, enough. Too much, yeah. (laughs) We actually don't like you guys that much. Get back to talking (laughs) about games, please. Games, yeah. I think this kind of goes along with that to some extent, which is that I feel like in the last quarter to third of this past year, Jake, we kind of pushed away from doing some of the more thoughtful topical episodes where not, I think early on, some of the conversations that we would have exploring concepts and ideas, we went in knowing that we would find the definitions of of things together Mm -hmm. and kind of settle into the experience. And I think somewhere in the second half of these first hundred episodes, I feel like we began to feel pressure to have all the answers at the start, with which both changed the way the show went and changed how we experienced feedback about the episodes in a way that maybe hurt the quality of conversation overall and made us less willing to have those conversations in a way that kind of bums me out. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, uh, we, we did that episode on Mechanical Artifice and there was tons of conversation after the fact. And I think there was a perception from some small percentage of vocal minority who is sort of like, you guys are claiming you have all the answers, but you clearly don't. And I think that I just want to be really clear that we want to have those conversations, but also make it clear that we're 
talking to figure out the answers. So we won't always be coming with all the answers and we won't always finish every episode with all the answers. But I think that that's okay because so much of this show, Decision Space, is about the journey of exploration and exploring games and learning, not knowing things and feeding that directly to each other or to the audience, you know? Yeah, I I love that um, being sort of like intentional about pushing back against expectations that we know anything. I'm always there for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do think you're right. It's something I think not that we made that intentional choice, but subconsciously when you're recording your first ever episode that, you know, 37 people are going to listen to if you're lucky, you know, if you can get mom and dad <laughs> and a couple of your fantasy football friends to, to listen to uh, is, is a little different than when you're, you know, and thank you all for listening, but like getting something somewhere, you know, in, in the realm of a thousand people downloading yeah. and listening to the episode. I, so I think that does put a little bit more, put some pressure on us to, you know, feel like, yeah, we're coming to this episode with definitions and answers. And if I think on a couple of those, we sort of like ended it. It's like, I don't know if we had any like clear takeaways and that kind of felt bad at the yeah. time where I feel like, you know, if we're going and say it's like, yeah, we're going to one of the topics that we have sort of been thinking about a little bit in the discourse, like what is an elegant game? Like what does elegance games? And I was and it's part of me is like, oh, we shouldn't touch that with like a 10 foot pole because there's no one answer. Right. There's no way we can like come up with like a definitive thing that's going to tick all the boxes for everybody. But perhaps having a conversation about elegance about the challenges with this term and and like the misconceptions about like you know it doesn't mean just one thing it can mean all these different things different people in and of itself could be a valuable discussion yeah absolutely and you know we wouldn't have started this podcast if we didn't think that there was a lot of value to be had in having conversations right like after all that's what we're here to do. So we should do it. Like, I want to talk to you about elegance. So we should just talk about elegance. And we'll we'll have new answers. And maybe they won't be the perfect answers. But that'll be an interesting conversation. And yeah, you, we'll learn things about our own tastes too. And like you said, there's a reason why people have debates about things. And it's that different people feel different ways about subjective concepts. Like elegance and right. Yeah. And I I think along with that, though, is the important like distinction that like we don't want to just be like pedantic, right? It's like not all about the definition, I guess. I was totally. having a conversation in with some people about Marvel Snap in a group mm. I'm in. It's like a group chat. And uh, it was basically like, I was just, was I was getting frustrated because people were like talking about like different like archetypes in the mm. game and like, oh, are these like different archetypes? Like, oh, that's not an archetype. That's just like a deck. And it's like, okay, but like, you know, it, it, the whole conversation to me just felt like very frustrating about people being like, no, you're wrong. Like there's only like four different archetypes and like some of these fit into the same ones. And I was like, okay, but those all feel like kind of like aggro. It's like, there's no aggro in this game. Like, okay, you know what I mean? Like sometimes like things can just go too far with just like people fighting over like what terms to use and when. So drawing lines. Yeah. I think there is sort of like an expectation of that in the board game hobby mm, about mm-hmm. like that's like what these kind of conversations are that's like how they go so i think like sometimes that can sort of like get brought in as an expectation people are like carrying into the episodes with uh that you know can sort of lead to those like 
challenging criticisms that we often get. So I think just being upfront that like that's not what we're striving to do. Yeah. In an elegant conversation about elegance. There that's you go. what we'll call the episode. There we go. Okay, Jake, what, what else do you want to do in the well, next hundred episodes? I mean, I, I think this is like a long-standing goal, but I, I really enjoy the episodes we've done that have guests on them in general. And I think especially guests that offer a diverse viewpoint, right? Yeah. It's like, I think one of my favorite episodes of all time was the one we did with like C.T. Nguyen. And that was fantastic because he was bringing in like a perspective around philosophy, um, yep. which which made that, I think, such a, you know, uh, interesting and rich conversation and and that's not to say we don't want you know guests you know like from other podcasts and, and folks like that i think that is a ton of fun too so this is just like more guests in general I, and, and i want recur our, our friends that we've had on the show before you know to come back we got yeah paul jamie paul S- carly uh tony favor ct yeah. Nguyen, all y'all are welcome back you know but also like maybe we bring some new folks into the fold too and then and get their takes and opinion. Maybe it's an artist, right? Talking about yep. art and game and, and what that matters. Or a musician or a professional athlete. Something like that. Like those are the folks that I think would be really fantastic to to get on the show and see how you know their expertise like outside of the game realm. Or maybe from a different aspect. Like we had the developer guy on to a different like Alex part Cutler. of the game world than what we typically operate in as sort of like this weird theory side of enjoying games that yeah. i think that would be great so let's let's it do sounds, more of that it sounds like one of the themes is like broadening horizons slightly like pulling the lens back to be inclusive of all aspects as much as we are just focused on this niche that we've carved out and i think the the niche that we've carved out isn't going anywhere decision space will still be decision space but we'll just save time to pull the lens back a little bit more and and take looks at other perspectives too yeah, I love that. I think that's a great way to sort of put this idea of, you know, if the first 100 episodes is about like zooming in and zooming in and zooming in, yeah. maybe the next 100 is where it was slowly pulling back out and like seeing like what else can we like incorporate into this uh, lens and show and, and ideas. Totally. And okay, so last year around this time, I stated a goal of us trying to get to 100,000 downloads by episode 100. We're not quite there. We're going to be around 90,000 downloads, which is still pretty close to the goal and something that I think we should both feel really proud of. Way more, way better than I thought we'd do when you set that goal. I I remember being like, ah, no, that's not happening. Jake was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So that's really exciting. I think both of us, I hope that I can speak for you in this moment, Jake, which is just that we're so thrilled that there's so many fans of Decision Space. And I think among listeners, it is a really beloved part of a lot of your weeks. And that makes us really proud. I would love to, I think a really strong goal for the podcast in this upcoming year and something I want to put on other people's mind is I would love for Decision Space to be nominated for the Golden Geek Awards. I don't even think we need to win. Just like reaching that nomination level, I think would be amazing for broadening broadening the potential audience scope of Decision Space and also the types of conversations we could be having. Yes. So fingers crossed. I know that happens early in the year sometimes. I think it's like around March usually. So that's my, my stated goal for this year. I'm only yeah. going to do one. But And I'm so thankful to all of you who listen to the show. Clearly, if you're listening at this point, hearing about things that are coming, you're excited about the show too. And I just want to say thank you for being on this journey with us. Yeah, be prepared for a lot of Golden Geek uh, 
award season shilling. That's going to be, yeah. that's going to be our like big push early in the year. Still grateful for all the Patreon support. Still shooting for a 25 Patreon goal so we can do our like little YouTube videos of some of our favorite games in our own collection. But, uh, but yeah, the golden geek is that's, that's goal number one for this year. I'm, I'm on board. Really quickly too, Jake, to, to your point, I think we're super close on that Patreon goal. Uh, we need four more patrons and then we'll make that video. So that'll yeah. be really cool. Oh, we also have a bonus episode to do uh, because we got to 20 patrons. We, the Patreon support unlocked a bonus episode. So be on the lookout for that sometime in January or early February. And we're just going to put that in our main feed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, you'll yeah, see you- an episode published on a Saturday or something. The Patreon supporters will pick the topic, but everybody will get to listen to it. Exactly. Yeah, nice. it's a way, nice way to give back. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I think um, that's cool. Okay. The last thing I want to say for like the next 100 episodes, and I, this one's a little bit like to be determined, but I think it's something we maybe should consider, which is possibly like fewer feature game episodes. We sort of originally, we basically did two feature game episodes, one discussion. Then towards the end of last year, or maybe for the most part of last year, we were kind of doing two discussion episodes, two game episodes. And I think potentially there could be some value and merit into like, even pushing back something like three discussion based episodes to two game episodes, or maybe it's just putting a little bit more breaks in to our regular schedule, nothing imminent at all at this point. But I think I was feeling a tad bit burnt out on just the sheer number of different games we were covering and deep diving. Um, and I never want to get to the point with this show that it like feels anything other than like just like fun and a joy to do. So yeah. I think one way we can sort of push back against that is by maybe being just like a touch more selective on the mm. games we cover. So we don't cover, you know, every new game that, you know, every big quote unquote big game that comes out on board game arena or you caught it just cause it came out. Um, and perhaps we can, do like more and perhaps being more selective could enable us to do more of like super deep dives like we did for uh tigris and euphrates where we cover a single game over two episodes and we've only done that once but those are among like our most popular episodes ever in terms of downloads obviously like we're covering a legendary game there so that's going to help with downloads i don't know if it's just the format that did it but I think that's something I would be worth that would be worth exploring more. And I think more what I really think probably might help is just like more of those like sort of more personal episodes like interspersed throughout, which would be game episodes where we are covering the games we've been playing recently, events and you know, updates in our lives and like what what gaming uh, has been meaning to us or you know how that's changing, what's happening with our game groups, that type of thing that we can come on, still have a really fun and entertaining chat, but not necessarily something that we have to spend, you know, dozens and dozens of hours preparing for each week. I really like your idea of doing more double episodes, Jake. It's a lot of, I think it's more bang for our buck for our own time, but also for the audience. Like if we're covering a game over two episodes, there might be a larger 
percentage of the audience who might seek out to play that game, knowing that there's going to be two hours of discussion really exploring it. And I think for some of the larger games, sometimes we get to the hour mark and feel like we have a solid 45 more minutes in us that we could go. And it'd be nice to have what could be a potential deep conversation that just gets missed, that we just kind of run past, give it the time to really breathe. I love that idea. And I also... Yeah, I think that that all sounds really natural. And the three topical to do two games might be more manageable. And also, people seem to really love our topical episodes. And I think ardent fans of the games we cover love the games we cover. But there's a lot of people who only check out the episodes of games that they've played, uh, which is that's great. I think that that's there's a niche for that. But we want to be economical with what we're discussing and how we're spending our time also. Yeah, I think it's like a paradox, which is just like most people's favorite episodes are like the episodes where we cover games that they know and love. Yeah. But like people's least favorite episodes are the episodes where we're like covering games they haven't played and don't care about. So it's it's a rough. Yeah. You know, so it's a rough puzzle. Like nobody's favorites are the discussion ones, but like everybody likes them like 70 percent or you know what I mean? It's like, but we'll 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 keep navigating that. We'll keep navigating it. And that's what we've always done. So Decision Space will still be Decision Space. It's not going to be a different show. It'll just be the same show, yeah. but slightly different. Jake, we're, we're running <laughs> better, out of time. Better. Yeah, better. I want to still get through that. I think we should rapid fire go through this list of games. So not do do it how we would totally do it, but like 30 seconds or less. Okay. And then gauge our, our one of the things that we should include is like, I'm out of 10 excited to potentially cover this on the show. What do okay. you think? Let's do it. Perfect. Okay. I'll do the first one. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So one of the games that Jake and I, I think I won't speak for him, but I'm a nine out of 10 excited to cover this on the show is a domino game from Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer called Renature, in which you're playing these domino tiles to a shared board while also doing this area majority puzzle by trying to control things with different plants. There's not enough time to cover more about the game here, but it's really cutthroat, really fun, and really tense, and has a very unique decision space. So that's one that I'm very interested in. Yeah, I'm like a 10 out of 10. Book it. Great. Boom. Book it. All right, the next game on our list, interesting one, Ticket to Ride by Alan R. Moon from back in 2004. Y'all know what Ticket to Ride is. Brendan, do you think this is something that we should cover on this podcast? Okay, it, back in the day, we would cover classics. Like we covered Carcassonne and we covered, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. We did others. Yeah. I want to cover Ticket to Ride because I think it'd be really interesting to tackle a game that launched tons of people into playing board games. And I also haven't played a lot of Ticket to Ride lately. So I think to play Ticket to Ride, I'm a 7 out of 10 excited, but covering it on the show, I'm an 8 out of 10. Okay. Yeah, I think I would give it like a seven out of ten i you know okay. it's a game i've always really admired a game i own i recommend to people but it's also like am i excited to play the game like five out of ten <laughs> okay we can't have a ticket to ride discussion right now we have to move on i'm just I saying to talk to you about I, it so I, I thought i was i thought i was following the prompt okay you see. were doing good i was gonna break the rules and just talk to you oh, about oh, tickets oh, to ride. Okay. yeah that was me it was me okay. no okay Brandon, this come next on. game Jake, you got to talk about this next one because this right. is a game selected by our patrons. Yeah, where so are you at? We'd, we're definitely covering Barrage. Uh, let's just call it like quarter one, 2023. It's, it's definitely happening. Yeah, it's a game I'm really excited to, to cover and, and play and talk about on this podcast. Maybe could that even be a double, a double. whammy? It's possible. I think it definitely No promises. Could. Yeah. I've played this game a bunch now and I need to play it a bunch more. Yeah. I'm a 
7 out of 10 excited, but I think if it clicks, I could be a 9 out of 10 excited. Okay. Okay, this next game is another one that everyone's banging down our doors to get us to cover. It's also a game that Jake owns and a game that came to BGG. It's It's a Wonderful World by Frederick Gruard. Gosh, dang it. It's a Wonderful World by Frederick Gruard, and it was published in 2019. This is like a drafting engine building game. It's so much an engine building game. And I think I'm a, I really love Seven Wonders. So for me right now, that's the drafting game that I'm going to go to as my bread and butter. But I'm going to try to settle into It's a Wonderful World to cover on the show. And I think for this, I'm an eight out of 10 excited. If this game clicks for me, I could love it. Right now, I think it's too long. What would you rather cover? No, I want to cover. I want to rather cover this than Seven Wonders. No, I'd definitely rather cover Seven Wonders. (laughs) So maybe we should do that. I want to do both. Okay, maybe we'll do both. Yeah, the drafting special. Yeah, we need to do. We haven't done that many drafting games. We've done Blood Rage. We've done Sushi Go. So I think we could definitely add more to that. Both of these games are like so pure drafting. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's engine building here too, but. It's always interesting to see like how games that are on their face so similar, like the de- decision space can often feel quite different and diverge. So I, I think it's worth covering. Um, how excited are you? What's your I, I think like maybe like a seven or an eight. I don't know. I I have like some slight qual- reservations, I guess. Okay, interesting. It. That's going to be an interesting episode. It really sounded like you were saying si- seven. Yeah, maybe like, I was going to say gonna be a six. six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a new number. Okay. Let's see. What? Where are we now? All right. Was it my turn? No, it's your turn. Yeah. No, it's your turn. My turn. Okay. So <laughs> one game we might consider covering, it's really nice having super light games thrown in there because we can play them a lot and really get into the nuance of the decision space, which is often a lot richer uh, than it seems on its surface. This one seems pretty small on its surface, and that's Coloretto, a Michael Schott game, uh, who also d- designed Web of Power, Slash Awari, uh, and Lucky Numbers. Uh, so yeah, very, very light set collection game. I played it exactly one time, but I loved it and immediately wanted yeah. to acquire a copy. So it's it's one where it's like, is it too small to cover? We always ask ourselves that, and then we always find out, not no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll have it uh we'll do a double episode on colorado for sure yeah I, uh, <laughs> let's do three I, dude let's do a yeah, month. why not yeah we'll do colorado zulardo and reflecting on both um i'm i'm a 10 out of 10 excited for colorado i think it's just such a classic of classic card games and it's so much the weight of game that i've interested in designing so i i want to cover it i want to talk to jake about it Col- colorado sounds awesome the next one is can't stop a push your luck game by sid saxon that is kind of like Colorado in that it might be one of the lightest games we ever cover on the show. I'm just sort of curious if we could do an episode on Can't Stop and the decisions in it. It's more of a see what happens game than it is a make interesting decisions game. But a lot of times those episodes lead to interesting conversations. And I want to talk about Sid Saxon on the show. He's a really foundational, interesting game designer. And I think that there's room to do like a Sid Saxon Can't Stop episode combined. So wait, I'm a I'm eight out of ten because I can't win, can't stop. I cannot stop. <laughs> we we have a uh, can't stop tournament going on right now in the Discord, and uh, I think Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong. You're in dead no, last. No, I'm the only person who has not won a game. <laughs> yeah, the okay. only person out of like twenty people. It's brutal. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know that we could like 
I know I just what I just said was I don't know <laughs> that this game can really fill a whole decision space episode, but I'd be love to be proven wrong, or maybe we combine it with some uh, like a we talk about can't stop, and then we talk about Sid Saxoner, and then we talk about push your luck in general, something like that. Uh, yeah. I think it could work. I, I mean, and it's like so funny because it's like the biggest hit in our discord of people that like presumably are like really really interested in decision space and then they just like actually just all they do is play can't stop all the time (laughs) i love it can't stop's awesome i uh i was okay we got to move on i'm doing it again jake the next game that we're talking about it is not can't stop we can stop that it is root a cole whirly game we haven't played or talked about many war games on the show we did uh cover memoir 44 and this is also a highly asymmetric game Rue almost needs no introduction i feel like uh i've been playing it a little bit in the app and there's another way that jake and i have played it a little bit together i know i'm more interested in covering root than jake is so this isn't a guaranteed cover and mostly i'm just excited to hear what jake has to say i'm probably a uh, on root right now i'm enjoying it as much as i do enjoy like a a pretty good sandwich <laughs> When I'm hungry, but not like a really good sandwich. Like a Subway. Right. Like Like you're hungry and you like go to Subway. Exactly. It nourishes you, but it's not something to write home about. But I think the more I play Root, the more I enjoy it. You don't like put it on your Instagram. No, I'm not putting my... Exactly. (laughs) But with that said, I think Root would make an interesting double episode. And we don't a lot of times cover games like this. But what do you think, Jake? I'm just like daunted by the prospect of covering Root because of... Like, even if we, what we'd have to do, I think, is be like, okay, we're just covering the base game and the base factions. But, like, even that feels, like, bigger than any other game we've attempted to cover because of how asymmetric it is. Like, each faction has, like, truly its own decision space and game that they're playing, which is something that, like, is super duper exciting to many people in the board game hobby. But not to me, you know, to me, soul is dying. Right. Like when I play, I'm just like, okay, but like, I don't want to learn. I don't know. Like, I just have such a hard time. Like I can figure out what my faction is doing, Mm. but then other factions are like doing very different stuff and the amount of like energy it requires me to like understand what they're doing so that I can like engage with it in an interesting and profitable way. It's just like. You know, it feels like, okay, I have to, like, learn the the meta and gauntlet decks in Magic the Gathering. And that's, like, super duper fun and cool if, like, all you do is play Magic the Gathering or Root. But if it's, like, I'm just showing up at a game night and they're like, we're going to play Root. I don't know. It just feels like too much. Root's just living forest on steroids. It's thematically <laughs> very similar. I'll give you that. <laughs> so where are you? Two out of ten? Uncovering One out of 10? it? Yeah, I would say, like, a three. Three. Okay. Well. Wow. How generous of you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next one. This one I think we should cover for sure, which is My City, Reiner Knizia's 2020 polyomino tile-laying legacy game. We haven't covered any legacy games on the podcast, so I think that in and of itself would be a really fascinating conversation. Maybe a double episode. Maybe we talk about like the actual game and then we talk about like the legacy aspects and legacy games in general. Something like that would be like 10 out of 10 for that. Also, you have this physically. You've played it with Bridget. I have yeah. this physically. I want to play it with Maya. It seems yeah, like a right opportunity. It. We're like halfway. Yeah. And we are like haven't opened it yet, okay. but we want to. So that might be an interesting one to see if Maya and Bridget want to come on the show. Yeah. Sounds okay. good. That'd be, that'd okay. be really fun. What's your number? 
10. I already said 10. 10. Oh, dang it. And I'm a, I'm a 9 out of 10. I'm really okay. excited. Uh, but Yeah, because I'm like the big Kinesia guy out of the two Exactly. Of us. You're the big Kinesia guy. And I'm just, I, I like Kinesia, but he's not quite there for me. You know, Feld. You're like, jury's still out. Like, Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's the cover art. I don't know. So I'm a 9. Okay. The next game. Uh, this is one that Jake and I had talked about maybe wanting to cover more, uh, cover some bigger games, but solo coverage of them maybe. So Jake and I would play the solo ver- versions of those games and discuss them. And then maybe if one of us has played the game with people more broadly, we discuss them. So one of the games I think that we will probably cover for sure. I shouldn't say that. TVD is Paladins of the West Kingdom. We want to get more Shem Phillips games covered on the show. This is one that Jake owns and that I own. I haven't played it yet, but I'm excited to delve into it. This is one that has a ton of fans. So I'm probably, I'm an eight out of 10 on this. I don't play a ton of solo games, but I'm excited to explore that experience and sort of broaden my horizons. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I'm also not a big solo gamer. And this is one that has like the full on, like complicated, like Atoma. Atoma. variant where you're like playing against somebody that's like simulating an opponent and i just think covering something like that like that gaming experience that a lot of people you know primarily play their games that way uh would be interesting to cover on the show so i think like for me again i'd be like nine out of ten excited to cover that on the podcast like a seven out of ten for like playing it a bunch solo (laughs) yeah 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 totally (laughs) Something less than that. Uh, something less than what I am excited to talk about it. I added two more here, Brendan. So I'll just say them both really quick. Uh, Messina 1347, the new Suchi game. This one has been co-designed with Raul Fernandez Aparicio. Um, that just came out recently on Yukata. I know we've covered Underwater Cities uh, and... Uh, should have blanking Praga Kaput Regni. Thank you. Praga, Praga Kaput Regni. Previously, I think it's really fun to like cover the same designer multiple times i think we've had pretty rich conversations about feld games and kinesia games and uh rosenberg games in the past and uh suchi i think is no exception so i think one thing that this show can do in an interesting way is sort of like talk about the decision space you know ludology uh of of folks um and and that would be another one that would fit right into that kind of legacy and i would love to see how that one tries on for us and then lastly arc nova a huge 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 game in the hobby uh one that we both have access to physically now funny story maybe we'll talk about that on the uh uh podcast uh if if we actually get to to the point we cover this maybe it's another one we cover solo just because it's difficult to get heavy games to the table uh in person for both of us but I think, you know, the biggest game of the past couple of years, without a doubt, uh, currently number four on BGG might be worth, you know, giving a little time Maybe. to on this podcast. Okay. So for my numbers, Jake, really quickly, Arc Nova, before the thing that Jake alluded to, that we're going to leave a complete mystery. Maybe we'll spoil it in our, in our discord. Uh, I, I was a six out of 10, but now. I'm a 10 out of 10 excited. Okay. I'm really okay. excited. And Messina 1347, on that game specifically, I'm a 7 out of 10. But on going back to Suchi, I'm a 10 out of 10. And I'm only a 7 out of 10 because I have no knowledge of anything that's going on except for that it's about the plague. 
Yeah, I didn't say anything about that game because I don't know anything about yeah. it either. But it's sushi, I just saw, so I'm excited. I just saw it pop up on Yukata. I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. i cover this. Yeah. yeah. It'll take a month and a half to play, to pre- right. like get really deep in it. But I'm, I'm excited. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think, Brandon, that brings us to the end of episode 100. I just want to thank you for doing 100 episodes of this show with me. I know originally you were just going to be the guest for the first episode and I was going to find a new guest for episode two. Clearly that didn't stick. So <laughs> I won't go 100 away. episodes later. <laughs> thank you for sticking around. Yeah, my pleasure, Jake. Thanks for I can't believe we spent over 100 hours just having these conversations. And it's been a, a really awesome part of my life for the past two years. And I'm really thankful to get to have these conversations with you. Awesome. So thank you. Yeah, well, you're welcome. And uh, I guess we should also thank, as always, Hembry for our intro and outro. I actually ran into lead singer Isaac Flynn back in Kansas in, in a restaurant over break. And he asked me, he's like, you're still using our song? And I was like, yeah. He's like, hell yeah. <laughs> you're like, let me get my phone out and play it for you. He said, uh, and he was, he, he was also like, oh, we got some new stuff coming out. I think you guys might really like But So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe we'll mix it up at some point in the future. But truly, Isaac, thanks so much. That means a ton to us. And if you haven't yet checked out Hembry, the song uh, Reach Out is one we always play. It has an awesome music video on YouTube, but all their stuff's available on Spotify. Highly recommend you giving them a listen because they're awesome, great people to boot. And come back next week for an episode we're calling Decision Space 101, where we're going to talk about a lot of the Touchstone episodes in our first hundred episodes. And it'll be a the intent will be it's we're trying to create an episode that's a great starting place for decision space where we can maybe codify some of the terms we've used and also just sort of reflect on the things that we've learned together throughout all this. And then onwards in 2023. Bye, y'all. Bye.